I have some awesome news to share. Over the last five years, I've done a lot in my in my in my short startup career. I grew a company from zero to 25k from cold emails. I got Jason Calacanis to invest in that company. I burned that company to the ground on accident, so I have many learnings. And in between that, I learned no code. I learned how to break into Silicon Valley from Phoenix, Arizona. I learned a ton of stuff. And I'm writing about all of it on forwardthinking.substack.com. For $10 a month before June 1st, you'll be able to kind of get a, a, a peek inside of my brain into how I've done what I've done and how I'm doing what I'm doing. I will write about everything I've learned about business and startups and share it with you, but only if you invest in me as a creator and and spend the $10 a month before June 1st. After June 1st, it's $15 a month. So if you want to be a better founder, want to support me as a creator, then go to forwardthinking.substack.com and let's get it. Let's go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today is another edition of Partner Mondays, where we have investors and founders on the call talking to each other. The founders are having a conversation with the investor about what they're working on. Um, So today, I'm very excited to have on one founder and one investor, and I'll have them introduce themselves. So Elizabeth, can you please introduce yourself first and tell everyone who you are, what you do, and then we'll have Daniel introduce himself. Certainly. So I'm Elizabeth Yin, and I previously was an entrepreneur. I had an advertising technology company that I grew for many years. And then for the last several years, I've been um, uh, on the investor side. So I've been angel investing. I previously ran an accelerator, and these days I run my own fund. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, so that's our investor for everyone listening, Elizabeth Yin. And for our founder, Daniel, can you please introduce yourself and then just to kind of dive into what you're working on? Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a student of the University of Florida, previously ex-Microsoft, ex-Tesla, and ex-Tiny AI startup from before. So currently what I'm working on is a way to actually allow people working with data to compete with major corporations. My goal is to level the playing field among the tech startup scene. So what this is, is a centralized way for people to actually share their training data and in general, and come together and build like this centralized network where people can collaborate and contribute to build this centralized recording of data and actually understand what they're coming to. So this whole idea comes from the concept of the Library of Alexandria, right, in which many scholars came along and each of them contributed to the specific knowledge base, literature, finance, philosophy, and they kept on building. You came in, took a book, read it, and then from there on you build on more knowledge. I want to do the same thing for self-driving startups from new fintech companies and from pharmaceutical. From everyone, I want the, the small innovator on their college dorm to be able to compete with the Fortune 500 company that's worth over a trillion dollars. I call this Alexandria. Very cool. That's interesting. So I think I need some help in wrapping my head around this a bit more. 
There are some things that are already kind of like libraries. For example, you could argue that YouTube, to a certain extent, is like a library of videos. Uh, Wikipedia is a library of information to a certain extent. You're talking about sort of a library of data, and I think you have some specific examples, but what would that kind of look like? Where would that data come from? How would it be vetted as right and that kind of thing? I am super glad that you asked this question. And the way that, it differenti that Alexandra differentiates itself from all of these services, right, is that this is specifically targeted for people who want to, who want to participate in AI or machine learning products, right? These are very data intensive. As we all know, data is very expensive to come by. So, and in the terms of where, where this is coming from, right, at first you're gonna have just a centralized way to be able to access open data sets. These are available right there, but you have to scour through them and kind of like formatize to what you want, really exactly get it to get it do the nitty gritty stuff to actually be able to feed your specific needs. And Alexandra will take care of all of that. And not only that, the big capability of Alexandra is can, it can actually suggest new data sets based upon your results, right? So for example, uh, Elizabeth, if you're looking at data for um, exit mergers and acquisitions for the past, past five years, right? And then that becomes really useful to you. My system will actually be able to tell, well, this data was actually very useful to you. You might, you might be interested in these credit reports, right, for these specific companies that were related to these mergers and acquisitions, right? And that's kind of how this knowledge base works. Now, going past the concept of open data sets is this whole concept of collaboration, right? A very hard field to compete in right now is self-driving startups. You need huge amounts of data to just even have any kind of remotely functioning product. This is why Tesla is such a successful company, right? Because they have a live stream of real-time data that's coming from an ever-growing fleet, right? You, it's very hard to compete against that, especially if you're just a $10 million self-driving startup. But what if you're suddenly not just one single $10 million startup? What if you're suddenly 50, right? And you're all collaborating towards a central repository you, option, you optionally decide to share part of the data with everyone else who's also sharing their data to have access to more. So the concept of together, we're stronger. Mm -hmm. Let's kind of dig into something you said. Um, you said there are already open data sets. What do you think is wrong with them? They're hard to find, first of all. And there's not a streamlined way to actually access these data sets. You need to start scour through them. There's no easy way to search for them. You kind of have to Google around. Then you have to make accounts for each of them, download it, um, agree to all types of terms of service for each of those. And then after that, right, even if you found three kind of similar data sets, they're not exactly in the format that you needed. And that, that's even more expensive. That and there's just so much friction from going from step zero, which is just getting the data, to step one, which is actually developing your product. I'm trying to take away that friction. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, following that line of thought, your thinking is that people will want to contribute if they can get something out of it. Or flipped around, everyone wants to get something out of it, but in order to do so, you have to contribute. Is that kind of your, how you're thinking about building this out? Exactly, right? Because what I'm trying to prove here is that 
is that by contributing, you can actually get more, right? It's building a sense of community, right? It's building a set of sense around of community of what you're doing and the data that you're dealing with. People are really passionate about your, their data because of how hard it is to come by. Um, this, this concept of I, I giving something to get something back, right? Is, is it builds compound interest because the more you share, the more, the more other people are also willing to share because they're increasingly getting more for their contributions. I, I have a quick question, um, just to clarify something for me. So you mentioned self-driving cars recently. Um, well, every, it, to my knowledge, um, and I could be wrong here, but self-driving cars are competing with each other to be the, the company that becomes the self-driving car company or the biggest one. If they're all using the same data set, then are they all just going to be this, have the same com uh, competitive advantage? And then, you know, what makes any of them different if it's all the same data? Well, because you have having the same data doesn't necessarily mean that you have the same machine learning model or AI model, right? Then at that point, it becomes a matter of architecture, right? Uh, but what you have now is that you all have access to the same resources as everyone else. From there on, it comes to ingenuity. Of how can I make the best of what I already have? Kind of like the same concept of every child should, should have an access to education. Here's every, every person who wants to build a product based off of data should have access to this data. So I think building on Matt's point, this is actually where my biggest question mark is. I agree with you. I think conceptually this can be used for certain applications actually very well. I think Glassdoor is probably a good example of that where you can contribute about your salary or your job and you don't really uh, care if other people have that data as long as it's not your name tied to it or whatever because it benefits the greater good around what's the norm of salaries and how do people really feel about working at certain places. But when it comes to things like self-driving cars, like to Matt's point, um, I actually see that I think that many companies, including the startups who quote only have ten million dollars, like would much prefer to gun for being the sole proprietor of the data, even if they're battling an uphill battle with Waymo and um, you know Tesla and all the other big folks, because I think people don't necessarily want to introduce new competition. They don't necessarily have the confidence that they will be able to beat out that competition. But by having sole access to data, assuming you get it in some clever way, that is a way to beat off competition. Um, so I think my point is like, it, it's interesting the use cases because I think some of these use cases that you're talking about in, in my mind are going to be really challenging use cases. I don't think I can think of any friend who is at a self-driving car company who would want to sign up for this, even if it meant that they could get access to more data, they just wouldn't share. Like they're very cagey. But on the flip side, like there are many, many other examples such as more along the lines of Glassdoor or like VC funding, like what's a typical valuation or how many people really get funded or what amounts and by what gender demographics and race and geography and all that. I'll bet people would be really excited about contributing to that as well as learning about what the numbers really look like. So I think my thoughts are thinking through the specific use cases in a different way. Okay, so just to clarify, you say your your main concern is people 
might not want to take partake part of this service, this platform, because they're afraid that they might lose their competitive advantage. Right? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on these people only sharing what they're comfortable with? Right, meaning this one startup, whatever be their product, it says, this part of my data, I'm, I'm okay sharing with, right? To kind of be able to take a peek at what everyone else is using. But this other part of my data, which I consider my secret sauce, what I, I really feel is the core of my product and I should not reveal to anyone, that I just keep to myself. I think at the end of the day, like, um, you know, in the beginning of this conversation, you really, you really hit it on the nose where AI startups are kind of a double-edged sword in that if you can get enough data to create an amazing model, then you're good and you have an advantage of that moat. And that's where everyone wants to be. The question is, how do you get there? And so I can't even imagine a world where someone shares any data at all, it's kind of like, how do you cross the other side? How do you get to the inside of a moat? Well, your suggestion's a bit akin to like, okay, I will give you part of my boat if you give me part of my boat. Well, if there can only be one person inside the moat, I'm not gonna give you anything because I don't know if that will help your boat more than you'll help my boat. You see what I'm saying? And I think that's kind of the paranoia that people have, especially in a winner take all market. Versus some of these other examples, like the Glassdoor example or the VC example, companies don't lose anything, but they're also not working on that problem as a, as a business either. So what do you believe are the, at least off the top of your head, the use cases in which people will benefit the most out of this? Well, so this is a bit of a pivot. I mean, I think there's certainly something here. I think transparency of data is a big problem. I think it's just hard to get out of people if you're potentially threatening their business in doing so. However, there are ways in getting data out of people, such as in the couple of examples that I've given. And I think the more that you can uh, ask people for data around things involving um, inequality, whether it's money related inequality or job related inequality or, or anything along those lines, I think the more people are willing to give so that way they can also find out just how unequal things are. And then maybe you build a business on top of that. So for example, Glassdoor's business, you know, they don't really care what you say about your employer or how you rate them or whatever, or what your salary is. And, and nobody else cares like that, that your livelihood is not threatened by giving up that information privately. But then Glassdoor goes and builds this business on top of that, which is like a recruiting business basically, right? So, so I think there are things along those lines that I would think about, but around a specific use case like that. Um, but that is different from your vision of helping AI startups for sure. So the, the reason why I ask this is, is because I wanted to get your specific, your specific perspective on this of because i have a very i have the very specific this very specific vision of helping ai startups and not only ai startups right even just a small a small ai enthusiasts right who just want to build in the next big model then the next innovation right because for what the concept of open source did to software i want to do to data right and at the beginning if you still if you ask someone 15 20 years ago about and pitch an open source they'll say why in the world would i make my proprietary database system 
open source. It's my whole business model. And then suddenly, fast forward 15, 18 years later, right, and you have companies like MongoDB, right, or Red Hat who are, are making who are making a massive amounts of revenue through the very concept of open source and just building a business on top of that, right? So I believe that if you take that same approach with data, right, in which people contribute in the same manner and then facilitate it for everyone to achieve this process, right, then you will be able to aid AI startups, innovators, right, and everyone in between, right? Even big corporations are gonna start com suddenly coming into this because you're not only selling the convenience, right, and the speed of getting access to this data and the amount of data that you're getting access to, you're also selling the ethics of it, right? People want to, people want to let other people know that they're doing right by their data, right? And they want to be transparent as to what they're doing. Of course, there's some, there are some edge cases around that. And what also be, people want to, want to try to find an issue to the overall problem of data transparency, right? My whole concept is how do you apply open source to data? And I believe Alexander is the solution to this. So I have one thing that I want to know that I think is helping me like understand this a little better is for my previous company that I worked on, um, I the way that I scaled it is through cold emailing um, ma mass amount of startups and being good at that and got to like a pretty good MRR. But I use crunch-based data. Um, like I, I paid the money for like the 300 bucks and you know, just like thousands of other people, but not thousands of other people were able to scale the way that we scaled because we, we did different things with that data. So like I... I I guess I I could see I could see like a world where maybe if you can convince enough people where data is like equal and like it's just what you do with that data. So I'm kind of interested in you know let's say let's say that could exist, right? How do you plan to like do you have a tactic on how to convince a very competitive ten million dollar funded company to partake in this, and then how to convince the next fifty? Um, in order to kind of get get this over the ledge, because you have to convince the first ten before you get the next thousand. Right. So my technique is going from small to big, right? So a small being first proof how convenient the system is, right? Because people, as Elizabeth said, people are very hesitant about giving their data, right, at the beginning. But I believe that problem really just becomes a problem at scale, right? once you're significant enough in terms of size. So at first you start with open data sets, right? And making it improve the com how convenient the system is to just be able to grab this data to your convenience, right? After that, you convince small people, right? Individuals in AI forums, Stack Overflow, et cetera, et cetera, in meetups as to, hey, share your data and all of you can have this almost central repository to be able to access what you're each working on in terms of the data sets that you have collected. Then after that, you move on to the first small company, right? Early stage, pre-seed startup. Hey, come on, come on into this platform, share some of what you have, and you'll be able to also see what these all other individuals are, have been sharing amongst each other and have access to that, right? And that's how I believe it can grow.
I have an, an additional question. Um, so I am not well versed in AI. So like, if this is a naive question, please let me know. But in my opinion, or my like, I guess experience, AI is in itself isn't like an industry. You apply AI to verticals. You apply AI to industries. So um, you know, and if I'm wrong, please educate me. But it sounds like you just want to collect data and help people leverage that data. But you don't leverage that data for the sake of of, of having better AI. It's having that data to, for different verticals. So it sounds like one vertical you're interested in is self-driving cars, um, especially you were at Tesla. So that makes sense. Do you see um, other verticals that this could be useful for? Or is your main beachhead self-driving cars? Self-driving car is, is just what's usually easiest to explain to people. But I do see, I mean, I do see it in many verticals. Um, government, I see it in government, right? Um, you're, sharing, you're sharing public data amongst people, especially think tanks. Uh, also fintech, right? Especially for being able to under, especially for gathering and collecting macroeconomic data. So Elizabeth said, uh, BC. Um, another, another big issue that I have seen in general is in advertising, right? Not in terms of, not to the same level that Facebook brings it as to how much you can target a specific population, right, amongst a platform, but more of what are people buying right now, right? And there are several ways as to which you can come across this data to get, get a general understanding of what, of what people are actually interested in at, at the moment, right? I also see, I also see a big, I see a big vertical in terms of advertisements. Do you have like a preference on any of it? Like, like, are there any that like speak to you? Or are those just uh, like options? Um, yeah, are there any that like you feel strongly about or are they just ways that you could go? The two that I feel the most strongly about are FinTech and government data. Because FinTech for one reason specific is I believe FinTech can really help um, narrow the gap in income in America, the, the wealth gap in, in America, because you need, to, you need to understand what the current microeconomic, microeconomic situations are. And this speaks specific to me because I, because when I, when I was very young, right, I first signed up for Robinhood access. I suddenly had access to a brokerage account for almost no fees, no minimum account fees, right? And it surprisingly or not, Robinhood just through learning a little bit more about me, was able to educate me more about financial matters. And coming from an immigrant background on an, an immigrant background from people who don't, my family doesn't really speak English and being completely new to the overall economic system of this country was also very helpful. Robinhood completely helped me out. And the other one is government data is, and the reason why this speaks to me specifically is because when I moved to college, I had one specific problem and that was, I had no idea where I could possibly find a job. And the only reason why I was able to find a job in college is because I was able to go to the central office and ask them, hey, is there anything that I can do? They said, no, but we can take a look at our central database of people who have posted jobs 
right around town that can help you out and these people are specifically looking for uh minorities because they want they want to increase their diversity so i want that's those are ways in which i saw data helping me and i want to help other people through that same phrase so i i think where matt is going with this is um picking like a very specific vertical as much as it is less exciting than trying to help all data become public, um, I think will make you more successful because any of one of these verticals in themselves have many sub verticals and sub problems and each of those is really challenging in itself. But I think that the problems in the last two categories you just mentioned, FinTech and government are actually probably the most promising categories of everything we've kind of talked about as far as people's willingness to share data to make their lives potentially better in contrast to the self-driving car example so let's just run with that for a moment how, to, i think to an earlier question also that matt had which is like how do you plan on getting this data you know i think even companies like Glassdoor or whatever have this problem, like you're then talking to small groups of people or individuals to get, you know, bit by bit at a time. How do you think about doing that? And I think the flip side we haven't talked about is what is the business model on that such that you can basically acquire those users or data or information under the, you know, amount that you will make from it. How, how do you think about that? You're, you're mute. Hey, can you hear us, Daniel? Okay. My, there we did go. you hear that, Elizabeth? I'm sorry, did you hear that, Daniel? The question? Yeah. Cool. You can take yeah, it. No. I can edit it out. No, sorry. Like it cut off through the middle. So can you repeat the question, Elizabeth? Uh, yeah. How do you think about acquiring all this data? And I think the flip side is like, how do you think about the business model like how do you make money such that that cost can fit under that right so in terms of the business model is because i am because i am selling two things the convenience of getting data in the format that you want at the moment that you want it and then and the amount of data that you're going to certainly going to have access to so in terms of the business model right i tried i i have a freemium model in mind right for individuals and small small innovators, what you do is you simply have access to up to X amount of gigabytes per month. And that gives that gives you access to that up to that amount. And you can play around with the data, get it all access in the format that you wanted to it at any given point in time and get suggestions for new data sets. Right. And once you got past that threshold, then you have to start paying or you can offset that part of the cost by the amount of data that you contribute back to the platform. So if you don't want, so if you want to be on the platform, but you don't want, but if you want to be on the platform, but you don't want to share any of your data, then you will pay full price. But if you contribute a part of your data, then you will receive a discount based upon the amount that you have contributed to the platform. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around are the users in all of this. Like there are people who may be interested in contributing data, but actually 
don't really care to have a whole lot of data coming back, right? And then there are also, I think, there's certainly a cost of approaching lots of different players. Are you thinking about approaching individuals or companies or groups to get this data? And I think on the flip side, the people who are the power users who would pay money, who do you think they would be? So I have, I plan on approaching firstly communities of small of in communities of small individuals. So pretty much um, data science meetup groups, um, data science clubs in colleges, and groups of aficionados on the, in overall the topic at hand of data. That way you can opt, you can optimize of like how many people you reach and specific, and target a very niche group of people who tend to congregate together. And in terms of who I believe the power users will be, is power users I believe will be data professionals or machine learning engineers who actually do this on the do this on the side. Right? It's not uncommon to find a AI scientists from Tesla to go and be working on his own model. Also researchers, right? Even though they don't have such a big budget, they are constantly looking for new streams of data, right? And they're most of the time very open about sharing back, sharing some, sharing part of the data and their, and their findings. So those who I believe are the power users, professionals with side projects and researchers. The folks with side projects, um... I mean, I'm, I guess I'm still trying to wrap my head around, since we haven't really established a specific use case to run with, uh, like how do they get the data in the first place? Because they don't just naturally have a data set of, you know, I don't know, employment numbers or, you know, people in this neighborhood who buy apples on Sundays or whatever, right? Like those data scientists don't have that raw data. So where does that come from? Right. So that comes from them actually having their own data sets. So, and by I mean their own data sets is these people who are actually working on their own projects, they usually go out of their way and find it online. And it's the concept of having many, having many people look for something that you by yourself will not be able to. So me as an organization, I will not, not nearly as able, will not have nearly the same capacity as a group of 200 people, right, who have found their very niche data sets and that they're using on the current projects. And now because it's so convenient for them to have it on this centralized platform that they will actually put it up, right? So it's also mm -hmm. a way to crowdsource new forms of data that you cannot, you don't necessarily run through by yourself. Yeah. Okay. Understood. And so the thinking then is, you know, the other thing that you'll need is like bulk around a specific problem like bulk of data around a specific problem is the thinking that people would like post basically projects that they're working on that they want everybody to collaborate on? Or is it more like some of these libraries I've seen, these open data sets where people just upload whatever and they're all kind of random. Like how do you think through getting bulk of raw data that's specific? Bulk of raw data that's specific. Can you clarify a little? Yeah, I think if you just like let people hodgepodge upload, like some people may say, well, I'm working on, let's say, I don't know, categorizing, categorizing grocery purchases on Fridays. And so I'm looking for that and I'm just uploading whatever I'm working on. And Matt may be working on researching like, um, 
you know, ethnic group buying habits, uh, you know, across various holidays or something, and he may be publishing that. And, and the two don't really go together. They're not really helpful. And I think even if you have 20 of us working on things like this, there may, we may all have data sets that don't, that don't fit. What I really need help on is like 20 people looking for my specific data set that I am looking for, if that makes sense. Right. So in terms of having this hodgepodge, right, of kind of like different data sets, is that becomes a problem in the beginning, right? Because then you have um, a various man, very small amount of users, right, with each of them with a very specific niche of data. And at that point, the, the problem is how do you get more people to join, right? In terms of the system, is the system already can tell kind of like cluster around data. So if, if a bunch of people just go on and make this hodgepodge of data, I by myself can figure out, well, this is, belongs to grocery stores related data. This is more around financial data. And that piece of the hodgepodge, hodgepodge right there is related to, let's say, art, art history. Right. And then as people come on, right, and they start sharing the specific niche, the system starts looking for that same type of data related to that niche. So if you, Elizabeth, come on and share your uh, latest research, right, for the past year, right, I will be able to tell, well, she's kind of taking a look at data related to VC, right? Now, what is some other data that's related to this? Let me suggest it back to Elizabeth. Uh, the problem is how do you build up this critical mass at which point you, you can actually start suggesting back, right? You can start suggesting, you can start making suggestions of new data sets that might possibly be useful to you, right? You need to reach a critical, um, this critical mass of users that are, are contributing such a hodgepodge. The volume of the hodgepodge is such that the specific clusters of that hodgepodge can benefit their can benefit their specific niche, right? And that leads me to answer the question of how do you build up this critical mass, right? And this critical mass, you don't build it up at the very beginning, the very early stages, by by promising more data in the future, right? You're promising it, but you are building this by the convenience of having access to your current data in very convenient ways, right? And to other data. So in terms of, let's say like my current architecture for an AI requires this very specific type of data. And now if I didn't have this system before, I have to go through this a whole other process, a week or two weeks to restructure my data so that it fits my new idea. Instead, you can simply ask the system to deliver it to you and it shall be delivered as the way that you so want it. So one question i'm taking it slightly left field but i wanted to get it in um you, you i feel like you keep talking slightly high level about getting users like you'll talk to communities you'll convince people then you'll convince small companies and big companies but can you like tell us like literally how you'll get like wh wh who your first five users will be where they are and what you will literally do to find them like can you give me actual examples so it's not theoretical yeah so my actual first my actual first users, well, actually my actual first 15 users are a data science college club, right? All of them, 
there are 15 people who are working on three to four projects, right? And all of them have their own data sets that have, they have found out, they have found in a collaborative manner, being searching online or doing it in doing manual work. And what my pitch to them is, hey, why don't you upload the data for your current projects to this central repository, right? So that you can have access to it at any given point in time, very easy to stream and be able to manipulate it on the fly and change it to, and change it in the way that you want it, right? And be able to share across your group members without any problems. So that will, that will be my very first set of users, right? A group of college kids who are just building stuff during, during their free time outside of classes. And like, who, who, like, where are these college students? Like, are they on Facebook? Are they on campus? Are you going to find them during, like, in a dorm? Are you going to find them on TikTok? Like, where will you find them? They're on campus, right? And they, almost every single college, every single college, major college, has a data science group or something related. And they have weekly meetups. At most, they have monthly meetups. And they're very accessible simply through their respective college sites or Facebook. All you have to do is... Let's say University of Florida Data Science Club on Facebook, and you will find it, and it's very easy to find their next meetup. And from there on, you just have to show uh, you just have to show up personally and make the pitch to them, right? Even then, reaching the president of these clubs are also very easy. Go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram—they're all very social. Just message them, ask to be on a Zoom call with them during the next meeting, and pitch the idea of Alexandria to them. And last question on this thread, and then and then I'm good. Um, how many of these groups have you reached out to in the last month? Um, and 15. you've reached out to 15 individual groups. And what's been your conversion rate to like getting getting inside the clubs? My conversion rate has so far been around like 60 ish percent. And I believe really it could be higher if it was not because of sorry coronavirus. To, just uh, sorry to interrupt. I just want to get one, one more one thing. So you've gone into seven clubs to talk about this. Or you've got seven verbal commits from clubs that you can come in and talk about it. No, I have gotten several hard, seven hard commits of clubs that want to partake part of the platform. Got it. Commits. Cool. Great. Commits. Um, that's the, yeah. Appreciate appreciate the clarification. Thanks. Yeah, and I believe that my attraction could be hired if it was not because of COVID. It's really hard to get replies from people during this time or because of the meetups, but I am pretty confident that once things start getting back to normal, selling this idea will be a whole lot more easier um, once people start actually congregating physically together to discuss ideas uh, in their colleges, right? Absolutely. Well, I, I'm I'm personally good on questions. Elizabeth, do you have any uh, more final questions before we kind of go into feedback and questions from Daniel? No, I think I have all my questions answered. Cool. So then now, um, yeah, Elizabeth, if you have you know any feedback, um, I'll I'll give some of my feedback too, and then um, Daniel, you can you know the last like seven minutes or so, you feel free to ask Elizabeth any questions that, that you have. So go for it, Elizabeth. Yeah, so I think just kind of recapping our conversation a bit, because I think we've already uh, interspersed feedback in in this conversation. I think, you know, the biggest questions from my end and also the biggest concerns are around 
you know, getting critical mass around data that's useful around particular use cases. And I think to your point, Daniel, actually, there are sites that have open data sets. I mean, I think even data.gov, a government site, is a good example of one. And when you think about some of the problems there, I think a major problem for many of these is that they don't really have very exhaustive or complete data sets, even the government ones. Like, in fact, while you were talking about this, I, I went to data.gov and just randomly downloaded a couple of data sets. And they don't have actually that much data and so it's not very useful so i think you will find that you can get people to upload data sets such as from colleges or whatnot what i am wondering is if you can get enough critical mass around specific data sets or specific data that is needed to do a project and be useful to really get the flywheel going such that people use this because i suspect right now a lot of these sites are not really being used even if people are once in a while just uploading, you know, data. So I think that's my, my feedback around what I think is the number one challenge. And so my recommendation would be to that extent, like, is there a way that maybe you can get people to collaborate on the same project so that way they can collectively get some critical mass on, you know, even just, let's just call it one data set to start with. Because I, I frankly speaking, I'm not a super huge fan of everyone just hodgepodge uploading a bunch of things and expecting that over time it will, it will have uh, you know, overlap. I just don't see that happening. I mean, that doesn't happen with the existing open, even government websites today. And uh, I, I'll just give a couple of quick feedback and then feel free to ask any questions regarding Elizabeth's feedback um, in, in, in just a second. But for me, I think there were, two two elements like one i actually thought it was pretty impressive i thought you were pretty composed and you took the questions well um which which was awesome i think the two areas where i would you know would worry about you know if i was writing checks is one you i could be wrong here but i got the perception that you're more excited about the technology than you are a use case like you're really into ai and data collection but you're not really into specifically that for a use case and it was clear you were open to a lot which in some cases, it's because you're flexible, but on the other hand, founders should be in some capacity very like, you know, narrow minded. It's like, this is what I want because this is my experience. I'm like, I'm going to push this into the world. So it's double double edged sword. So that was one thing. Secondly, the, the reason I asked the last questions that I asked is like it, through the whole conversation, I might be wrong because I don't know AI that well, but you were talking like pretty theoretical the whole time. And then you, when you told me that you got seven commits from, from, from college campus clubs at the very, very end, I'm like, damn, you should have told, you should have told me that, like should have told us that in the, in the beginning, because it was very theoretical until I realized that, you know, you're, you're, you're getting, you're already starting little distribution. Um, so I think making that a little more clear earlier is good. Um, so, you know, so Elizabeth knows, you know, any investor you talk to knows that you're like actually like acting on this and getting commits. Um, and other than that, those are my pieces of feedback. Um, so feel now if you have any questions for Elizabeth about her feedback or any anything about kind of raising capital from you know venture capitalists, feel free to 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 ask. Yeah, thank you, thank you both for the feedback. Uh, much appreciated. And also, I think my main question to Elizabeth is: uh, throughout this whole conversation, right? What was your main concern? as an investor, right, when talking to me. You know, what's your, throughout this conversation, what was your impression? And what is the one, what is the main concern that you have on your mind that's floating around? Um, 
I'll give you a couple, but they all sort of are related. So I think uh, the critical mass is absolutely important because otherwise you just become one of those other sites that you told us in the beginning that you think aren't good, right? Like if you have a bunch of fragmented data sets such as data.gov, it's not useful and you don't like, then you end up with this weird downward spiral effect where no one goes to it because they know it's not useful rather than the opposite of, oh, I want to really contribute and then keep coming back. So that's my number one concern for this kind of business that's absolutely critical. And I think you have to solve for that critical mass, even if it's on something really specific, like everyone is collaborating on the price of eggs on, you know, Easter Sunday or whatever, like, you know, as, as crazy and random and as small sounding as it sounds like that's what I think this needs. And I don't quite know the approach myself, but that's what I would recommend. And then the second thing that's related to that is the business model I I don't have conviction around how much people will pay. And maybe that's just something that I need to get a better grapple of on my end. And as an investor, like under normal circumstances, I would do research on that if I could get conviction on the first part. But that's probably the, how I would order it. Um, the critical mass of specific data and then the business model of like, well, how much can you really sell this for? Okay. And also as, a, as an investor, and also as a previous founder, when those, you also have a unique perspective, right? From people who just went straight to investing because you know the side of, I really know the hustle and the grind that needs to go behind um, a startup and the grid that it takes, but you also understand the investors, right? Like what is the future outlook of this? Will this be a 2X or 10X or 200X or, right? Um, what, when you're looking, when you're looking at a new idea, right? What is the what is the first thing that you're looking for? I think just two words: unit economics. Um, actually, it is true, and it's because I I have the perspective of a founder. Actually, when I talk with people, I don't have the perspective of an investor. I actually never ask about TAM, like total addressable market. Like I just I don't really understand why investors look so tops down. The way I look at things is, well, if I were in your shoes and I were thinking about starting this business, what are all the things that I would feel like I need to do or de-risk? And if we rewind the clock to 2008, when I left my cushy job at Google uh, during the recession um, to go and start a company, I had no idea what I was doing. I think a, a thing that I faced over and over again that I didn't learn for actually quite a long time was really understanding unit economics. And by that, it's like just very simple, like how much money can you make on something and how much will it cost you to get that something or that somebody? And so never mind like even the other things around retention or payback, let's just focus on those two things. I, I would want to have better conviction if I were just starting out on this idea, like how much would people pay for this data? And I'm sure that ranges, it probably depends a lot on what the data is. And so that would also dictate what specific use case to go after first. And we didn't hear any of that in that conversation. Maybe you have done your research on that and we just don't have the time to talk about it now, but that is a real, really critical piece. And then the other is around the cost. It feels really expensive, but if we just kind of back of the envelope, do the cost, like, okay, I actually like the approach of going to meetups. You can get pretty scaled ways of reaching out to those meetups, right? Like you read Matt's, uh, post on like cold emailing let's just cold email every data science meetup on meetup.com and and get somebody to scrape every university and all their data science clubs or whatever like we can we can get that out the door and everybody seems very excited it sounds like from your initial data points great we have a lot of people now that i think we can cheaply acquire to contribute 
but it kind of comes to, can it still be cheap getting everybody to contribute specific data around specific things on a specific project? And on the flip side, how much money I make, will that cover the cost of doing all this outbound sales? In the beginning, when it's me doing the outbound sales, I'm free, right? Like I'm the founder, but eventually you have to think about paying somebody and it could be somebody on Upwork, but it could also be, you know, I don't know, somebody else and factoring in that cost, like even if it's $5 an hour that you're paying somebody to send out cold emails and field responses, that still is a cost. So that's how I would think about it. And that's what I would test first before thinking about scale. Like I don't, I don't care about thinking about the TAM or anything like that, or whether it's 10 X or hundred X, like just those basic building blocks of costs and revenue. Like I feel like is what, what needs to be looked at a bit more. One thing I'll actually add in from the perspective of someone who um, I'm, not, I'm not working on anymore, but I had a company that I, I you know, I, I was t- I talked to Elizabeth about it as a, you know, as wanting an investment, talked to hundreds of investors and something that I learned from Elizabeth and others is that they really, some, at least at this stage, care about like, how do you get the word out? Like distribution um, and, and uh, like, you know, other than just ads. Um, and that's, that was my biggest surprise as a first time founder was like, you know, I have this company, it has like a lot of revenue, it's, it's killing it. Why are these people not interesting? It's cause like we had no idea how to get, like it was just hustle for distribution. That was literally it. And that works for the beginning, but it like wasn't a good enough answer. So like my experience as a founder that r- was trying to raise money um, was investors also care about uh, how, how to get the word out. Do you have any other questions uh, for Elizabeth? If not, that's fine, but we have time for one or two more. Oh, sorry. I thought you cut off. Nope. So, I'm, I'm good. Yes. And that goes specifically, Elizabeth, you said something that really brought my attention is you decided to leave your cushy job at Google in 2008 during the middle of a recession to start your own company, which seems like the worst possible time in history to do so. What pushed you as a founder to go out there and actually start um, your idea or your company? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good question. Well, I mean, I think just, um, I mean, as, as you all know, like the, the autonomy, just both from a mental level, but also I think a physical level as well in, in starting a business is something that I value a lot. I mean, I think even to that point, I may be a VC now, but you'll notice that like I started my VC, which is actually very different from going to work for someone else's VC. Like I don't have the politics that other VCs have, like when they're trying to decide on deals at the Monday partner meeting. And, you know, so I think for me, like I just could not work for a large company. Like Google's a great place. They have smart people. They have great food, but that just doesn't fit my personality. And so recession or no recession, you know, this is just, I think working on, new projects are exciting and that's just what I like. So, you know, I'm very, I think a lot of people are like, Oh, you're a VC. But I think a lot of the times I very much see everything with a, an entrepreneur's lens, whether it's like the operations for our own business at hustle fund, but also in like making decisions. It's like, I very much put myself in self in the shoes of like day one, if I were running this business, what would I do? And I just love thinking about that. And, and even doing that as well, like the customer development, the sales, the initial sales, et cetera. But I think that the step that Matt kind of emphasized that needs to happen here is around, okay, it's great. You approach all these seven people or whatever, like 
can you start to think through what a repeatable process would look like? And even if you don't have that repeatable process right now, like what are the steps you need to do to test it? And that's what I love thinking about. All right. Well, that is all the, all the time we have. I think that was awesome. Thank you both for, uh, both for coming on. I guess I have one last question for Daniel. If, um, Daniel, uh, for anyone listening, they like think you're cool. You know, they, they, they like what you, when they want to learn what you're working on, do you have like a, a link or a Twitter handle or like any way that they can, they can get in touch and learn more about what you're working on? Uh, yes. Follow me, uh, on Twitter on D L O B A T O N 58. That's my Twitter handle. I am constantly tweeting updates about what I'm doing, what I believe is what I believe needs to be done with data to actually fuel the next the next revolution on AI and also constantly making updates on what I'm doing with Alexandria. Cool. And I have one last note, then we'll we'll finish it. Um for everyone listening, uh Daniel, uh we literally got in touch because he Twitter DM'd me and he told me that he wanted to chat. And after a couple conversations, I'm like, you're really awesome. You should you should do this. So if you um if you like Twitter DM me if you're a founder. There's plenty of people like me and Elizabeth and many other investors and founders that want to help. So don't be scared. Reach out, do the cool DMs and good things will happen. Thanks everyone for listening. All right, thanks for listening to the episode of Forward Thinking Founders. If you want more content like that and you want some more educational content on how to start a startup, how to break into Silicon Valley, how to raise money, I encourage you to go to forwardthinking.substack.com and subscribe for $10 a month before June 1st, where you get access to every post I've written on the topic and every post I've written on the internet in general, um, plus every post I'll write in the future. Uh, one of my most recent posts is about Gary Vaynerchuk's business model, how if in 2020 you're trying to make money the same way he made money in 2013, you're behind. And instead of copying Gary Vaynerchuk, there's a new way to make money on the internet and, and a kind of a new wave. Um, another post I wrote is how the rise of avatars are changing the internet landscape and how it is slowly shifting us to a virtual and augmented world without people fully realizing it yet. And I write about this stuff all the time, including tips from my own experience. So if any of this sounds interesting to you and you want a community to engage with about these posts and any of your own interests, I encourage you to go to forwardthinking.substack.com and subscribe for $10 a month. I would really appreciate it as a sub creator. And I think you'll make your money back real quickly after you invest. So I'll see you over there. See you inside forward thinking. And I hope you have a good rest of your day.